This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. This is the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. We are helping you get back on track with your saving and your spending in conversation with Alison from Leap Savvy Savers about some of the systems you need to get in place and changing your mindset around money. What defines successful parenting? Do you feel like, like a success or a failure? We were speaking to parenting coach Sylvie Ebert. The Pink Caravan is on the move again for World Cancer Day. Where's it going to be and who is leading the charge? We were finding out. And Ludmilla Malava, our resident legal eagle, back to answer all of your legal questions from the new wages protection system. And we were going to text line two, taking your questions on everything from property to business formation. All right, troops, it's confession time. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Um, if yours was to save more, spend less, perhaps it's not going quite to plan. Perhaps our next guest can give you some advice. Joining us live is Alison Sultani, the founder of Leap Savvy Savers. Alison, great to have you with us. Um, a, a, a timely reminder, I think, for many people who might have started off with the best of intentions, but sometimes unrealistic goals and expectations. So we're going to be picking your brains on on what we can be doing to get back on track or indeed set some new targets. Um, For anyone that hasn't heard us have a chat before, um, are you okay to give us a quick explanation about the ideas behind Leap Savvy Savers? You know, what, what what are you up to? What are your ideologies when it comes to spending and saving, of course? Hi, Helen. It's wonderful to be back. Thank you so much for having me. I can't believe it's been almost a year since I you know. and I have. I know. <laughs> actually caught up. It's it, it's uh, amazing how fast the time actually flies by. Um, yeah, it's definitely a timely reminder for people. Would you believe New Year's resolutions, um, number four globally, out of all New Year's resolution set is to save money. Mm-hmm. And I actually think it's number two, really, because the top three are all kind of health, diet, yeah. fitness it's related. It's like move more, you know, eat more healthily. Exactly. So we'll, we'll lump them together. First one is be healthy. Second one is be financially healthy, which is where you come in. Exactly. And it's um, so it's really top of a lot of people's minds. So, yeah, I founded a blog and an Instagram page called Leap Savvy Savers a couple of years ago now on a teacher's salary, I, you know, quite a modest salary, raising two small children. I managed to save quite a lot of money and like, build a six figure investment portfolio by rental properties and such like in just under two years from essentially not getting any huge pay rise, but really focusing on my saving and being intentional with my spending. So I thought this was a really great opportunity to talk about the process of goal setting and systems as well. So a lot of people set the goal to save money, but there's already a sort of issue with that in the sense that money is never the actual goal. So I would suggest to people to change that goal completely to what you want the money to do for you. Mm -hmm. So in terms of what do you want this goal to be? So it might be, for example, I want to quit my job next year to spend more time with my toddler before they start school. So in that case, that would be your goal. And the saving would be like a byproduct of that to get you there. Mm -hmm. And then it's about visualizing how it would feel to achieve that goal. So not necessarily... um, 
doing like the day to day of doing it, but visualize the feeling of maybe writing out your resignation letter, <laughs> speaking with your manager, um, spending more time with your child next year, all the activities you're going to do, that's going to keep your motivation high. Even if it's something like buying a new car, mm -hmm. okay, take that car for a test drive, really get your brain engaged in the target that is not the money. But even if we have these sort of amazing, really concrete goals, we visualize the feelings, our motivation is going to run low. And we are, what, three weeks into January. And research suggests that by February, a lot of people have reverted back from their good habits. Um, so I really want to help people to keep on track. And it makes me think of a uh, quite a popular, famous author called James Clear, who wrote a book called Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. And he said, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you drop to the level of your systems. So it's all very well and good setting goals. But I think that where most people fall down is the system that enables them to meet the goal. Absolutely. I think that's really important. And it totally depends on the goal. But if you're looking at, you know, that classic of wanting to lose weight, you know, it's about changing your environment, changing your shopping habits, you know, being accountable. And when we're looking at being financially healthy, exactly right, putting those systems in place that are going to help you on that journey. We're going to talk about some of the tools and tricks for sticking to that resolution. Alison Sultani is the founder of Leap Savvy Savers. She's on air to help us this afternoon get back on track with those resolutions. So do send in any questions, concerns, or indeed what's working for you on the money front. And um, before we go to the text line, um, I wanted to come back to your creating a system, which I think is so, so crucial to... We all, we all need all the help we can get. And I think being realistic with ourselves and where we're stumbling, what those obstacles are, you know, whether it is, you know a belief we've got that we're never going to earn enough money or save enough money or indeed putting some practical things in place else. And what are, the, what are some of the systems that you find universally helpful um, or perhaps particularly pertinent to this region? Hi, Helen. Yeah, thank you so much for the question. And this answers the question that your listener um, called in about, about the the partner who is the overspender okay. and they want to save as well. I'll read out um, this text in full because it's an interesting one. Um, saying, what advice would Alison have for someone who's married to a serious spender? My husband doesn't seem to deny himself anything. Brunches, clothes, gadgets, and while he earns well, our savings aren't where I hoped they'd be after five years in Dubai. When I challenge him, he calls me a nag or makes me feel like a killjoy for stopping him enjoying life here. You're giving big nods. This is clearly not a unique uh, problem to this couple. It's definitely not. Um, certainly when you said about you know, five years in Dubai and a, new, a lot of people have really good incomes here, but they're actually not saving as much as they would like to do. So that comes back to the system again. And it's about, first of all, working together and getting on the same page, carving out time to do that, investing in themselves and their systems as a couple and creating the sort of systems that are going to help them to both be happy. And what I mean by that is um, in my system where we track, basically I have, I've built a system based off of kind of the method that helped me to get where I am today, which tracks your expenses, works out your savings goals and tracks larger expenses, but also allows you to spend um, how much you feel comfortable with as a couple. Mm -hmm. So that's why our workshop this weekend that I'm actually hosting with Steve Cronin from Dead Simple Saving, who's also an expert in expat finance, 
is going to be really helpful. You can actually sit down together, carve out the time to create a system where you talk about your savings goals. We have, instead of just saying, I just want to save money, you know, I've been in Dubai for five years and I don't have enough. We work out, take the time to work out, okay, what, how much? Let's put a number on that. Let's put a numerical value on how much you want to save. And then we're going to work backwards. We're going to reverse engineer it and we're going to figure out, okay, if you both can get on the same page about what you want to achieve in the next five years, we're going to work back and reverse engineer using all the formulas in the, that are built already into the spreadsheet. And we're going to figure out how much you actually need to be putting aside every single month in the present to reach that goal together. Now, once you have that sorted, this is the magic. You take that off your income and the rest is sort of yours or your husband's. He can, you know, uh, your partner, he can take his part to actually um, spend on whatever he wants to spend it on. So it's essentially finding a system that suits both partners. And once you're both on the same page and you discuss these goals together, you can actually say, here's what we need to be doing right now to reach these goals. So we can't spend that money now because we have another goal that we're excited about to work on together. And so it's about finding the time to actually do that. And that's what our workshop provides. It provides time and a place where you can actually have those conversations, work out those numbers, work out how much your life costs every month. And, you know, realistically, how long is it going to take you to reach those goals? It can be quite eye opening because mm -hmm. some people can actually realize, well, I have been in Dubai for five years or 10 years and I have been earning significantly more than I perhaps would be earning in my home country. I haven't managed to put aside what I wanted to. OK, we've got a system where we can simply and sustainably allow you to meet those goals while still maintaining your standard and quality of life. I think that's you know, a that really good distinction because, you know, you can go full fire and you could be like, we're going to save 75% of our salary, but you could be living a really miserable existence. <laughs> so, But for me, it's about balance, to be honest. I, I think, you know, enjoy yourselves, but as my husband would say, fun within a structure. That's, that's what happens when you go to boarding school. You like having fun within a structure. Um, I, I want to follow up with a message in, in a very similar vein, actually saying, my partner thinks talking money matters is boring, not valuable, and even the, when the topic is raised, thinks I'm being too money orientated. We never even talk about it once a month. How can I get across that talking money isn't a bad or pointless thing to do? Head in the sand syndrome. Yeah, this is another really sort of common issue. And again, I would probably just say the same thing. You need to make sure you carve out the time. And even if you don't want to take this particular workshop, it's about, OK, can we find time doing something fun that we like together and talk about let's first of all, put the money aside. And this is the first section of the workshop. Anyway, we don't even talk about money. We talk about goals. We talk about visualizing your ideal life. Um, we talk about short term, long term and then once you've actually got excited about that, that's when you can actually start putting numbers to it and say, OK, well, that's kind of an abstract vision dream right now. How about we make that concrete and we can actually talk about how we could get there? So it's, again, about using money as a tool to get to what you really want rather than talking money, talking numbers alone isn't going to. No, like most people, I, no, it lights I, me up. I love it. <laughs> 
but for a lot of people, um, it's like going to be talking about the yeah. other stuff. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about the workshop. It's, as you said, ha- taking place on the 29th of Jan with Steve Cronin from Dead Simple Saving, who I adore. I just want to have like a mini Steve in my pocket at all times. Okay. Um, so how can people register and what's the actual kind of the practical side around that, Alison? So it's going to be hosted in Dubai, um, and like you said, on this Sunday, it's going to be one day where we, again, like I just said, we talk about the goals, we talk about your vision, we get you set up with you. If It's for people who maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know, I really, really want to pay off my credit card or I really want to save for retirement. I want to start putting money aside. Um, or some people say, for example, there's always more months than money I hear that quite a lot with my because I'm a finance coach so I hear that quite a lot and um I hear people saying I just haven't been able to start saving yet even though I'm in the UAE earning more money Mm -hmm. and so it's about getting your budget set up for February so we'll get you set up for February um get your savings goals set up get start you building your emergency fund because it's always important to have that financial security as well particularly at the moment we are in a period of time where you know inflation is high costs are going up and having security is really important it's again that feeling of okay what do you feel comfortable with we can start building that as well and we can put a plan in place so it's going to be a day's workshop where that's what we want you to get out of it we want you to get um know how much your life costs get a budget set up, but it's not just going to be boring budget stuff. It's going to be, how does this help me to reach my goal? And Steve is actually going to be running a debt management session as well, like Uh, a really focused session on paying off your debt, because we know, you know, um, about the people are, sitting there thinking, I just really want to pay it off. I just don't know where to start. I agree. I think and a lot of people really feel want desperate to help people. around that because, you know, we can talk about savings all you like, but I'm sure there's an awful lot of people listening today and going, I would love to be in a position where I can, I can get above zero in my savings, but at the minute I've got X, Y, Z that really needs my attention because that interest is not going anywhere. And then with people going, how to sign up? So that's stolen my last question to you, Alison. If anyone wants oh, to yes. come along, how can people get in touch and where's it going to be sure. and all that stuff? Sure. So um, it's you can easily sign up via either my Instagram or my website. So that's leapsavvysavers.com or it's leapsavvysavers, the handle on Instagram. So leap as in jump, L-E-A-P, Savvy Savers. It'll be the first link in my Instagram and it's the first link on my website as well. A big header, really easy to sign up. It's super affordable. Um, and you can also sign up via Steve's website as well, Dead Simple Saving, if you know you know that website better or something like that um it's going to be hosted in dubai and easily locate locate and easy to get to location and essentially it's about having the system in place we have built the system for you all you need to do you don't need to have any kind of knowledge of excel budgeting numbers accounting none of that you just need to be able to have a device a laptop and be able to input numbers into a spreadsheet that's pretty much it. We've set up all the formulas for you and everything. So we're really hoping we can help people to take some, some sort of manage their back. finances. Yeah. I think yeah. I think that head in the sand syndrome message we had earlier is is way more common than than we might realise. And I believe my I understand that that of like la 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 la. If I don't talk about it, everything's going to get sorted. But 
you know, time to put your big girl and boy pants on and uh, take control and, as you say, feel a bit empowered by getting excited about this. Alison, thank you so, so much. If anyone does want to find out more details of that, just send me the word money. I'll send you the link um, for Leap Savvy Savers and you can uh, sign up through there. Um, I'm wishing you all the very best. I hope it goes well. I hope you learn something from the people there and I know they're going to an awful, get an awful lot from you, Alison. And give my best to Steve. Thank you. Thanks very, very much. Tell me, go on. Thanks. Thank you so much. And just before I head off, I just wanted to say that we are doing a section at the end as well on specific saving strategies if you do want to increase your savings rate. And we're also thinking about the other question that you had, doing a section on how to increase your income. I increased my income by starting my site, also starting my business legally. I have an LLC, so I'm really happy to talk about how I got my license, how I managed to uh, create an intersection between what I like, what people need and what my strengths are in order to increase my income outside of my main job. So just to like go back to that first question that we had, we are doing a section on increasing income as well as saving and reducing on your expenses. Brilliant. Really Drink hope workshop. that helps legally, as we should say. Sure. Increasing your sure. income legally. Alison, thank you so, so much. Sure. If you do want details, just thank drop you, me a little Alan. message. Pleasure um, to 4001 saying money. I will send you the link. You can have an explore and hopefully turn your finances around. Do you worry that you have failed as a parent? We're talking about parental success today with Sylvie Abert. She is a PCI certified parent coach, a mum of two. I always find, this, find it really crucial to introduce people as parents for, for many reasons. Of course, if you work in the industry, but you know, it's something that takes up an awful lot of our time and thoughts and emotions. And uh, I think credit where credit's due. I have not naming any names spoke to a number of you know pediatric nutritionists who haven't got kids and I'm like yeah but you, you might know the science but you perhaps don't understand what it takes to actually be in the, be in the trenches shall we say so she's a, a mum of two Sylvie thank you for being with us um before we get into the topic of failure and success which I think is a really emotive one I've already had a number of messages from people saying what they believe success looks like as a parent I wondered if you could kind of outline some of the concerns that parents are coming to you with right now in Dubai what's What's stressing people out? Thank you for having me, Helen. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, so um, my main focus, I would say, is the parent-child relationship and its communication. And the main concerns, I would say, around that is the parent-child relationship itself, the parent wanting more connection but not sure how to build that, uh, really feeling disconnected, Um, a, a parent just wanting to parent not just wanting to parent, but wanting to parent well, mm-hmm. um, uh, defining their own parenting ru- values. Some parents, they don't really, they're not really sure what the values are that they want to focus on while raising their children. And then as well, understanding what boundaries and rules um, they want to put in place. Uh, that's really, you know, different from parent to parent. And then when it comes to the parent-child communication, how effectively uh, engaging the child to cooperate you know they are struggling how to communicate properly how to get the child to listen Um, a lot of concerns are sibling conflicts struggling with routines morning routines or bedtime routines overuse of media and screens is a big one because it just goes on and on yeah like or needing advice with homeschooling like Mm -hmm. it's yeah i think for many parents myself included it's um it's because we, they don't come with a manual. You know, they, um, you know, we don't know what we're doing. 
<laughs> Absolutely. We, you know, we can read books. Um, and I think many of us learn from our parents. You know, that's that's the kind of route for many of us. It's like, well, my my mum did it this way and this is how my dad spoke to me. And mm-hmm. for some people, that's an amazing template and something they want to emulate. And for other people, that is the absolute antithesis of, of the parent that they want to be. And then you throw a partner into the mix and they're coming with their own stuff, their own yes. background. And that can be simply to do with, you know, family values, as you say, but it can be different culture, different language. And here in Dubai, we've spoken about kind of interfaith and intercultural marriages and relationships before. And, you know, this is a, a very big thing here in the UAE. And then we've got so much information. Yes. This is where I'm yes. struggling right now. It's like, you know, you should be, you should be, a, a, you should be doing gentle parenting, but that's, that's not gentle enough. Or no, that's what it, it, I just feel like there are so many opinions out there. You can kind of lose your own way and lose your own values. And then we get comparisons, which brings us to the mm-hmm. topic today about success and success and failure. And I wondered when we kind of think back to parenting in, I'm not saying the olden days, but certainly a few decades ago, parenting success, if I ask my, maybe not my mum, but maybe my grand- grandparents, what does success look like? I was just, you know, just keep just keeping them around, making sure they leave the house when they're 18 and hopefully don't keep asking you for money. You know, with that, you know healthy financially independent I think would probably be the answers and now I feel like our expectations are so much higher what do you think historically parental success looked like Sylvie? Yeah as you said I mean I think the first focus of our parents or grandparents were to um, cover the basic needs mm-hmm. of food shelter and safety and and preferably a good education and then I think it was more of a parent-to-child dynamic, um, you do as I say fashion, you know, in, in that fashion. And uh, yeah, really focusing on, on how well they listen and how well they behave. That was... And now, how about um, now? How, how do you think? And we've had a number, in fact, before, before I ask you, Sylvia, I'll, I'll come to the text line because we've had a number of you saying, you know, what does parental success look like to you? Jules saying, a happy, balanced, considerate child would be success to me. And it's so hard because there's no proven recipe. Correct. Yes. Kelly says, success for me is raising a happy, kind, adjusted young person who knows how to make their way in life. What, what are you hearing from clients and indeed seeing about when parents think, do you know what? I've done a good job. Yeah. So, um, of course, the intention and the wish is to be well connected with our children nowadays, to be present and to be very involved. Um, that's harder to do than to actually, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to talk about. So my mission really is to help a parent to move away from this parent to child dynamic, which is quite fear and control based towards a parent with child relationship where the parent is not so much concerned anymore about being in control, but rather interested and focused on how we can get to a mutual understanding and respect between me and my child. See, I hear that and I'm like, but I want to have control. I, you know, I, I need to have control yeah. because this is a this is a child who yes. doesn't necessarily know as much as me. Um, yes. And I'm not saying that what you're saying is wrong by by any means. But I think for a lot of people, that that makes me feel really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wondered what you would say to anyone else who's like you're sounding like the child's in charge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. Um, Well, if with every parent I I work with, basically, I start by taking a closer look at the parent-child dynamic. And when we look at the at the parent-child dynamic, we actually realize that 
at almost every given moment we spend with our child or children, we don't expect the same, we're not interested in the same, and we don't need the same. Furthermore, we as adults have hopefully developed brains and our children have developing brains. Mm -hmm. If you go even further, we are very oftentimes not in the same time zone. So as we think more past and future, especially younger children inhabit the present more. Mm -hmm. So when we when the parent actually realize, oh, whoa, whoa, take, let's take a second and realize my expectation, which is often around, I want my child to listen, I want my child to cooperate, is a little bit too much to ask because I don't have control over that. Mm -hmm. So let's steer away from what we don't have control over, which we never had it all along, towards how can we effectively communicate towards a mutual understanding. Can, I, can I give you an example? Something, yes. that, something that stresses us out in our family. And this is going out for meals. So our kids are about the same age, kind of five and seven. Mm -hmm. And the chances of them sitting down before, during and, you know, immediately after a meal, especially if we're going somewhere that's, you know, not like a kind of casual cafe or a fast food place, are nearly nil. But my husband's expectation is that they should be able to sit nicely mm -hmm. and be respectful and and I, I know that like that's a, that's a real desire of his mm -hmm. and he finds it really upsetting when they're up and down and it triggers him massively yeah and I've spoken to a couple of people and they're like well it's not realistic you mm -hmm. know at that age they can't be sitting down for more than kind of 15-20 minutes so I'm wondering if any if, if that kind of rings any bells with with you about absolutely that that, that expectation gap I suppose Sophie. absolutely I mean it's 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 good to be aware first of what is my expectation around sitting at a around the table with my kids going out for for lunch or dinner and then really tuning in to hey what is my is my child's expectation and need maybe it's not important to you and you think okay this is my expectation i'm the parent here i want my child to cooperate but then we have to build a platform or an environment where our kids are able to cooperate is there maybe a playground uh, where they can go down and play around after they ate mm -hmm. because if you think about a child wants to come to the table Eat and leave. Exactly. And that's just, you know, important to realize. Mm. Maybe you can bring some, um, I always bring a little, um, uh, how do you call it, a case mm. with uh, pencils and whatever we can do. We you travel know. with Uno now. I have, a, uh, I yes. have, I have a, a, a game of Uno in my handbag yeah. almost same all times. Same here, okay. same here. But I, I think it's just, it's so, so hard to kind of let go of your expectations. Because as, as I said, he feels like, this is an enjoyable evening for us. We've basically failed. We're talking parenting this afternoon. Success and failure. What does that look like to you? And some, some more comments and questions and on hand to help this afternoon is a PCI certified parenting coach, Sylvie Ebert. And th this isn't so much a question, as I said, just a, a comment here saying, please no name, but I feel like a failure because of the man I chose to have children with. He provides financially, but doesn't parent with any love at all. And it breaks my heart that he's the role model for my son. So thank you for sharing that. And if you do have any questions or such, please don't hesitate to reach out. Before we go to the text line, Sylvia, I wanted to ask you, what, what does parenting success look like to you? For me, as I said, I want to be able to enjoy my children's company, for them to be happy and well-adjusted and kind. 
and when they're grown up to want to spend time with me and, and vice versa. What about you? You're a yeah. mum of two. I very much relate to your wish and um, I have the same. Um, I think in a nutshell for me, parental success is having more connection um, over correction throughout the day. And um, if I can um, let go of the need or expectation on how well my kids listen to me or how often they cooperate throughout the day, but rather focus on, hey, how effectively can I communicate to bring us towards more respect and, and a mutual understanding and to have really more moments of connection, mm-hmm. you know. I like that connection over correction. And l- listen, I, w- I would love that too. However, sometimes we just need to get out of the door. And I think that's when I feel like I'm failing. It's when I when I lose my cool. Yeah, it just happened this morning with us. I lost my cool. Um, I, uh, we were late. And um, even though I thought we had all the, the nuggets in plan and in, in, in place, you know, we, we got late. So in the car, I said, guys, we are going through the door together. What are we doing wrong? So I, I held a little bit of a collaborative problem solving session in the car. And we came up with better um, plans on what we can do. But what I realized as well, especially my daughter, who is really not a morning person, is to focus more from my side on helping her Mm -hmm. because I believe morning sessions are not sessions to uh, teach independence. So I told myself if I can help her more so she can get and launch into the day easier and I can see a result already. Yeah. Going to the text line, Sylvie, a message here saying, does your expert believe in the method of allowing the child to lead in all aspects of their life, the Dr. Shafali method, to be true? Um, well, that's a little bit, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a risky one, right? And it's scary for, for parents to hear that because um, we, we are wired to needing control, but then let's focus on what we have control over, right? We are responsible for that child. We are responsible for their safety. And since we have more experience, let's be responsible about guiding our children, but always I, I feel what's important, always being in line and in tune with what my child needs, what my child expects and what my child is interested in. Not necessarily go with that, but creating a communication around that so that our child feels seen and heard and knows that the child matters because it's an inborn need that we have. I, I, I feel like I'm, again, I, I think it's the kind of, I don't know how to I don't know how to articulate it. I just don't feel like there's enough hours in the day to be listening to my children all the time and saying, I know you want candy at seven o'clock in the morning and I feel I see you. I and just I'm sorry, I'm like sometimes I just want to say no. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry that we just haven't got time to be even entertaining this discussion. And I feel like now modern day parenting standards are like, you're not a good enough parent if you're not sitting down, you know, and looking at your child eye level and saying, I hope you feel seen and I hope I'm understanding you because I'm acknowledging that you want candy at seven o'clock in the morning. I'm, I just think life's just a bit too short sometimes. Yeah, I agree with you. And defining success is very individual. And because of that pressure of comparison, mm-hmm. that's where we have to work on ourselves. But I believe if I don't have the time to reply to my child, I can still say, hey, I heard your question and I know what you want, but it's not the time right now. We will come back to it. But at least the child felt hurt, you know. I think my children are feeling very unheard right now. No. <laughs> 
talking parenting this afternoon and do you feel like you failed as a parent? Do you, what does success look like to you? Get in touch on 4001. You can let me know that. It's really interesting to hear people's definitions of success. Alina saying, success for me is at the end of the day, I feel good about the things I did with my daughter and I was fully involved. Um, and a message here uh, saying my son is doing his A-levels. He's clever, so he's doing okay by doing the bare minimum, but could be doing very well with a lot more effort. But he's got no idea about money responsibilities. He's um, lazy, entitled, with no drive, and I feel like a terrible parent. I haven't got any advice for you on there at all, but thank you so much for sharing. And I'm sure a lot of other parents of teenagers are thinking... That sounds like a, a you know a pretty pretty normal behaviour. But we, we're going to turn our attentions to a couple of younger, um, kind of younger kid issues that have come in on four zero zero one. Joining us in studio today is Sylvie Ibert. She is a PCI certified parenting coach, um, and this is about a ten year old girl. Sylvie message saying, um, "Our daughter is struggling in a big way with friendship. She's got no friends in school, and it's really affected her emotionally. I've taken her to see a psychiatrist whose notions who noticed she was very immature for her age. Tested her." IQ which is very low for her age can I ask is that a good way to test a child's intellect and can you provide some tips for friendship issues I've spoken to the school for support but nothing has worked thus far I have to say you just sound like an amazing parent for being able to communicate that so eloquently and obviously so much genuine love and concern there for your little girl um, let's let's tackle that friendship piece there, Sylvie. Is there anything you would advise? Because it, it can be heartbreaking to see whether it's a little friendship quibble or a dynamic falling out of whack or there just being a, a real gap there. Yes, I think um, what we want to focus there um, as, as parents is really helping our children um, building a vocabulary vocabulary for their inner landscape, you know, and helping them do that. It's not easy to um, talk about our emotions and helping them to do that can be a a big one when it comes to building uh, friendships. How do we do that? Um, I would say focusing on uh, listening as a parent and um, when we we notice them being sad, um, asking those questions, being curious, you know, often we approach our children um, when believe, believing we already know what they what they're going to say. I would suggest approach your child with curiosity because our children have extremely valid information that when we are curious, we will get. Mm-hmm. Um, from the practical point of view, you know, speaking to the school is great and that's what that's what I would do as well because they should have some structures in place to you know buddy her up with somebody or you know speak to a teacher about a dynamic in the classroom what about outside of school where where can we build friendships there yeah i believe uh, arranging play dates you know and asking our child who did who did you connect with today maybe not around the word connection maybe we use a, a different word who did you eat lunch with today or who whom did you play with today or next to whom were you sitting so that we get a little bit more information and then of course as you say we connect with the teacher we get a little bit of insight and i think focusing on these factors can already be a game changer I find this next message so interesting because it's actually something that came up in conversation with me and a friend over the weekend. Anonymous saying, my 11-year-old boy lies a lot. Big lies, little lies, not always for things he would get in trouble for. Have you got any advice for dealing with this? 
it's so fun. Honestly, on Saturday, we were saying exactly the same. More little white lies in our experiences. But I'm wondering if you could tell us why kids lie in the first place. Yeah. So you just mentioned the first one, right? Um, not getting into trouble when it's around fear. Um, that is one. And two is, um, I believe, a child who really, really wants something but lacks a better communication than lying. And the third would be... Um, ask parents, we have to ask ourselves, um, are we too strict? You know, are we giving enough space to the child to voice or to do what they would want to do? Yeah, but what if those things were in place for a reason? What if it, you know, like, okay, I'll tell you why my kids lie. They they lie to get out of being in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and they lie to get their sibling in trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, to, to watch the show, right? Of the drama. Yeah, it's like <laughs> she kicked me first or last night we had, you know, she stamped on my face on purpose. You're like, you didn't, you were on the ladder. Yeah. You know, all of this. Then that's to, that's to get attention, yeah, right? Yeah, tell yeah. me about it. Yeah. It's exhausting and they're not getting good attention, let me tell you. But when you come to saying, can you give us an example of, of, someone, of, a, of a child lying to... Um, because of because of a boundary in, ter- in terms of strictness, what could that look like, Sylvie? Mm. And the mm. reason I ask is because sometimes our our rules are in place to keep them safe. Yeah. For example, let's talk about a topic: screens. Mm-hmm. Right. When, for example, the parents parent is super strict on not letting the child use any type of screens. Right. We know it's not good, but. If the, if the wish and the desire is so strong, where the self-control in terms of neuro, neuralistic, um, the neurodevelopmental uh, aspect isn't developed yet, then that child really wants just that and the parent is too strict. And then the only solution left basically for the child is to lie. But then what lesson are we giving them if, when, if we, we change our rules based on them lying? Well... Uh, changing our rules means, hey, the child really wants to use a screen. What type of screen are we okay with? What duration are we okay with? You know, that's the question we should ask. Which comes back to that kind of collaboration idea. Yes, of like, you know, this this is our family rules and agreements, and hopefully meeting a compromise. Okay, and so what? So what? Would, what would, advice would you give to this listener whose eleven-year-old boy is lying a lot? Um. First of all, uh, dissecting why is he lying, understanding the why first, and then seeing what I can do to cooperate with my child, whether this is a communication, whether this is questioning my, my uh, strictness. It depends on what the reason is. Uh, for me, I... Listen, to it, don't get me wrong. I was a proper little fibber when I was growing up for exactly those reasons, not getting into trouble, getting my brother in trouble, getting away with stuff. I was really devious. But whenever I was found out, it was made very clear to me that not, you know, not telling the truth had consequences. Yeah. And it did change my behavior. Yeah. And one, one thing I, I, I would want to mention is it's important for a parent to know pushing boundaries or lying is a way for a child to experiment their independence. Mm-hmm. And that is a developmental stage that is very, very, very normal. If that wouldn't happen, pushing the boundaries wouldn't happen, something wouldn't be right developmentally. Mm-hmm. That's a fact we have to realize. Now, when it comes to lying, it really starts with the why first and then understanding, okay, is it a lack of better communication? Is it me being too strict? Is it me um, focusing on, on a fear-based uh, parenting where I maybe should reconsider? 
you know, it's uh, it's not all black and white. Lastly, Sylvia, I wanted to ask you if anyone's listening today and they, they are feeling like a failure as a parent for myriad reasons. We've had we've had so many here today, you know, feeling like their child is lazy and entitled, feeling like a failure because they didn't choose the quote unquote right partner. I mean, I feel like a failure frequently, frequently. Um, how can we, I guess, practice a little bit of self-compassion and, uh, and kind of move forward? Yeah, self-compassion when I work with parents is a big one. Um, there are a lot of conscious uh, parenting mental exercises that I do with parents. Uh, it could be a, a observing um, of how we how we go about our day to actually know ourselves better. It could be with positive uh, uh, starting with positive affirmations during the day. It could be really focusing on friendship and kindness when we talk to ourselves because. Um, that's where it starts. When we are kinder to ourselves, we can, we feel more relaxed and, and, you know, can be more compassionate with our kids. I think one thing I've come to realize is if you're a parent and you're worried about parenting, you're already a really, really good parent. <laughs> yes, <laughs> if, exactly. If you, if you care enough to worry, then you're probably doing better than you think you Absolutely. are. And if you are actually open to get help, I mean, that really, really, as you say, means you care and you're open to educate yourself. Mm. And I mean, I worked in the corporate field before. And the reason why I became a parent coach is because I saw there needed to be a dramatic shift in parenting support mm-hmm. um, to support the parent because there is no education and, and knowledge. Because they don't come with a manual. Thank exactly. you so much, Sylvie. For anyone that wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way of reaching out? Um, either just via WhatsApp and... Uh, you can, tell you what, if you send me a message saying parent, I will send you Sylvie's phone number. How does that sound? Perfect. There you go. Sylvie, Abbott, thank you so, so much. Really do appreciate your insights this afternoon. And if there's any topic, any area of parenting that you'd like us to focus on, like us to explore, please do get in touch. Indeed, if you've spoken to an expert, a doctor who you think they have got a great message or an interesting point of view, this is your chance. We'd love to give them a shout out. I'd love to get them in the studio. You can always contact me on 4001. You've got the ARN Play app and you've got the WhatsApp too. Coming up in just a couple of weeks, February 4th, World Cancer Day and bringing more awareness, the incredible Pink Caravan is on the move again. It is recognised as one of the most successful breast cancer awareness campaigns globally and has provided so far more than 70,000 free screenings since its initiation to date. Joining us now is the director of Friends of Cancer Patients, director Aisha Al-Muller. Aisha, thank you for being with us. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you're with us just to, yes, raise awareness, spread a little bit more information about where you're going to be and when. So tell us about the upcoming ride the week of February 4th to the 11th. Hello, thank you so much for hosting me. So speaking about the Pink Caravan ride, it's uh, organized by Friends of Cancer Patients and it's also considered the UAE's largest breast cancer awareness campaign. Um, Obviously, the ride has been launched since 2011 and has been riding across the seven Emirates annually to raise awareness of the importance of early detection of breast cancer. And we've been offering free medical consultation and screening to all UAE residents. Now, this is considered the 11th edition of the annual ride and it's going to start on the 4th of February, that is in align, of course, with the World Cancer Day. Mm-hmm. And it's going to continue until the February 10th under the theme Powered by You. And this is as a reflection of the power and energy that 
the right derived from each and every person in the UAE community. We also schedule different activities under the right, which will include free breast cancer medical screenings, and this will include as well clinical ultrasound mammograms for both women and men. Thank you for acknowledging the men folk listening today. We've had a number of male breast cancer survivors on the show recently. Are you seeing more men getting checked? Yes, yes, definitely. There is a huge um, mind shift when it comes to having more men compared to previously. The, the ride when it first started in 2011, obviously there was a lot of hesitance when it comes to, to men doing these checkups. And we haven't seen that just with the men themselves, but it was also... Uh, related to women who were also hesitant by that time to do these checkups. And this is was all related when it comes to social and culture uh, reasons. But now we can see that there's a huge uh, positive and major shift when it comes to even men doing their checkups. And Good. even uh, the, the, the clinical or the, the screenings that we're doing right now, we have dedicated clinics just for men themselves. Um, Isha, I hear it's being led by horses. Um, that's, that sounds incredible. Can you tell us exactly where you're going to be during that week and where, of course, we can see the spectacle, but most importantly, get screened? Uh, yes, indeed. Of course, uh, the ride is actually, yes, led by horses and probably because it is the, we would say that horses play a vital role when it comes to Arab culture, especially here in UAE. And they are seen as a symbol of nobility and pride. And having them on the ride, actually, since 2011, it kind of created, actually, a great exposure to the ride. And we've been seeing a great participation and dedication, even from the riders, that they would like to give back to the community through their participation. So since the ride launched, we have around uh, 820 equestrians from different nations, and they've been traveling uh, through uh, more than 1,950 kilometers throughout the ride. Wow. Um, Before I let you go, where can people find out more about where to find you and indeed come along for their screenings? So regarding this, obviously, we always update and have the details of our location that is available on our social media account uh, under the Pink Caravan account. We always update it. And rather than that, we also already launched our six, uh, 11 fixed clinics that, and the location are also detailed and available in our account as well. Aisham Almila, thank you so, so much. I know you've been doing an awful lot of work behind the scenes to get ready for setting off on February 4th. So thank you to you and the team for doing such an incredible, incredible job with Pink Caravan. Aisha Almula, Director of Friends of Cancer Patients. If you want details of Pink Caravan, drop a little message, just say pink and I will send you the link. It is one of the busiest hours on your radio. It's when the text lines go on fire. Because joining us live on the line now is the fantastic Ludmilla Yamalova, joining us from HPL Yamalova and Pluka. We're going to be looking at what's been happening in the news, the latest guidelines, headlines, and most importantly to me is helping you out. So if there's something that's giving you a bit of a sleepless night, a niggle, maybe you want some expert second opinion, this is your chance. Ludmilla, where are you and is it raining? Or I am in JLT and I saw, it's not raining here right now, but I did see some very dark clouds mm. passing by. And now that I'm looking up the sky, I don't see them anymore. So I'm not sure if 
brains pass us by it's or just is dark, circling yeah. around. Pretty dark. Makes you want to cozy up with some socks on and watch some rubbish TV, which um, I don't need any excuse, but this is this is a nice reason. Well, I have to tell you, I went walking today. I was going to do yoga at five in the morning and my yoga instructor called in six. So I went walking and I was bundled up. Yeah, quite well. I think I had like four layers. Yeah, I was out at uh, 6 a.m. this morning taking my daughter to swim squad. This is this is the act of love right there, leaving the house to get her to in the pool by 6.15. And it was cold. I was in long-sleeved hoodie, uh, scarf, big socks, trainers. I'm not mad about it. I love a bit of weather. Um, but I hope you are safe out there, folks. Please be extra careful on the roads if there's any, any rain around. And uh, think of others. And of course, let me know. Is it raining where you are? Ludmilla, let's talk headlines before we go to, as I said, very busy text line. Um, tell us a little bit about the wages protection system that has come into place. And who is this indeed protecting? Indeed. So the wage protection system is otherwise referred as WPS. And those employees and companies who have been based on the mainland and licensed by DED, which is the Department of Economic Development, um, they will know about WPS because it has been in place for all the um, uh, mainland employees uh, for many years. However, free zones have been uh, excluded from the WPS apart from JAFSA free zone. There was one exception. And ultimately, what the WPS is uh, designed to do is to protect employees, making sure that the employees get their salaries paid on a regular basis. And for the most part, up to 80% of their salaries are, are received on, on the monthly basis. So it's a system between a governing authority, in this particular case, uh, well, until recently, between MOHRE, or the Ministry of Human Resources, and the central bank, uh, and the corresponding banks under the central bank. Well, it's, it's a unified system where ultimately all employees that are working for um, for on on the um, onshore companies, on the mainland companies, are registered with the central bank and the authorities under the WPS system. So all of their salaries are ultimately are tagged uh, and going through the WPS system. So the idea is, for example, if a company, and, so, and by law, uh, those companies that are registered with WPS, uh, they have to pay at least 80% of their monthly salaries to their employees on a regular basis. And when they start falling below that mark, that's when the red flags are going out, both on the banking side and on the regulatory side. And then companies' files can be frozen, suspend, license suspended, and, and fines can be applied. So the idea here is to create a system, so an automatic system, so the companies don't abuse their position and don't uh, deprive the employees of salaries. So that's kind of the high-level overview of the WPS system. So again, the system has existed for quite some time for all the LLCs and the mainland companies, but not the free zones. Well, interestingly enough, the DMCC just last uh, last week announced that WPS is coming into the DMCC, and it, it is big news because. The DMCC is one of the largest free zones in the world. Mm. And so that means many, many thousands of tens of thousands of companies are now going to be subject uh, to the WPS system along with all of their employees. Also, WPS was discussed in the new the domestic employee law, uh, which came out just a few weeks ago. Um, then that too, so it's also being introduced. So overall, I think we're seeing a trend for this WPS being introduced across uh, perhaps the, the rest of the UAE not and not just the mainland companies. And so the objective is, I think, obviously, to protect all employees and introduce that sort of uh, protection and, uh, and security and guarantee for employees across the board, one. But two, I think that WPS is also going to be used as a system to ensure and allow free zone employees to also 
register, for example, for unemployment insurance, mm -hmm. which right now they don't have the ability to register for, and we speculate it's perhaps because they're not part of the uh, WPS on the one hand, and also on the amortization front of uh, things, the free zones right now also are not regulated or not subject to the amortization requirements. And once again, we think it's because the WPS is not part of the free zone uh, structures yet. Up to this so, point. Voila, okay. So interesting. Place. Okay. So this implications could be quite far reaching on this. Joining us live for your legal clinic, Ludmilla Imalova is here. And I tell you what, I always know it's a Monday afternoon when I start to get far more messages than normal. They're not for me, they're for her. I'm wanting to pick the brains of the best in the business. And I don't blame you. It's a great opportunity to test the waters if you do need to seek out some legal advice, get some clarification on something you're feeling a bit confused about, or indeed get an expert second opinion. 4001 is the SMS to contact us here. Let's go to this question, property. Um, an interesting clarification needed here saying I've been served my eviction notice by the landlord he's since sold within the notice time frame do the new owners also now need to serve a 12-month notice or buy me out of the lease I know it's sold but it's not exchanged just yet I would have given you a very different answer a few months ago I would have said absolutely not but the original notice would stand however we have since seen a few RDC judgments which ultimately state that the new owners also have to give notice. Uh, so uh, logically and, and legally, I'm not sure how that, that makes sense to me <laughs> to me personally, but uh, I will tell you, because the, the law reads differently, but what we're seeing RDC, how the RDC is interpreting the law is that in short, uh, would require for the new, uh, new owner also to provide the same kind of notice, which is going to be another year notice. Okay, so it kind of could effectively press the reset button once the exchange goes through. Beneficially for this particular mm. listener. <laughs> Absolutely, perhaps not for the, not for anyone who wants to be living in it without a tenant in place. Okay, hope that helps. And uh, if you do want clarification on that, let me know. Um, no name on this message saying, the law that mandates all open-ended contracts to be changed to fixed home contracts. What happens if the employee refuses to sign the contract as the company might try to change open-ended contracts to one year, putting the employee at a disadvantage? Does the employee have any right to refuse signing a new contract? So, uh, interesting, two-layered question. Uh, one, uh, does the employee have the right? Yes, but ultimately, it's it's uh, then the company has the right to terminate the employee because updating contracts with a new format uh, is, is a now an obligation for all companies and employees as of February. Uh, and that's just you know, in the next few weeks. So therefore, can the employee um, reject? Sure. But legally, can the company in, in return terminate? Absolutely. Uh, so that's one. Two, I think more interestingly is that I know a lot, there are a lot of employees who were previously on an unlimited contract feel very uneasy about signing this uh, otherwise called a fixed-term uh, fixed contract. But to be honest with you, substantively, there isn't really much difference between the current version of a limited contract and the previous unlimited contract. Uh, so while um, uh, in, the, in the past, if you had a limited contract, there were more restrictions about uh, uh, termination or resignation. Uh, under the new form of the employment contract, even though it's called fixed, it's only really f called fixed or limited in, in name and not in substance because there is no penalty uh, for resigning earlier, for example, or for the company terminating you earlier. So 
uh, the, the, in terms of the benefits and rights, whether it's a one-year contract, a three-year contract, a five-year contract, it's all the same treatment. Okay. So there isn't substantively much of a difference, and there isn't really a concern. Uh, even if the company wants to make it a one-year versus three years, by law, it can make it up to three years. Uh, if the company, even if they make it three years, they can still terminate you a year into it without any additional penalties. Okay, hope that helps. Um, joining us on the line now, we've got Burak, who has a question for you, Lamilla, regarding property. Welcome to the show, sir. How can we help you? Hi, hi. Very nice to to, to meet you all. You. Um, so my my situation is an interesting one. I purchased the property. There was an existing tenant in there, but when I looked into the situation a little bit more. There is, I'm going to separate the two. There's a legal tenant, meaning the person whose name is on the lease and who has the DUI and all of that set up. And then there's someone who's actually living in the building whose name is not on any of the documents. Um, these two were ex-friends. They are now separated. Uh, they don't want anything to do with one another. And I'm actually just trying to see if I can get this illegal tenant out um, and, and move in my, myself. A couple of things that I've done already is eviction notice to the legal tenant because on the basis that he hasn't paid me rent since the, let's call it the automatic tenancy renewal uh, from September. Mm-hmm. So that 30 day has passed. But I, it's, it's unfortunate that I can't do anything to this person who's squatting in my building or in my unit, I should say, because I need to first cut my, my ties with my legal tenant. Um, this legal tenant doesn't want to live there, doesn't you know, want to renew the contract. I have that in writing, uh, but he refuses to, to cut the diwa, which would have been you know, the quickest way out of this. <laughs> yeah, too right. um, so I have no choice. Oh. I have no choice to go to court, um, but it's just un- unfortunate. So I was Is just it? wondering if, if, if I've done the right steps. I have a lawyer for all this, and I am dishing out a lot of money bet, <laughs> for each and every step. Oh, uh, we've also sense. done apartment audits. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just a really messy situation. So anything that, that you know, uh, would, uh, additional that could help or, or anything that we could have done differently, I'm just curious for anyone out there who has a similar situation. Great question. Sorry for the long question. No, 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 no. no. It's, a, it's a great question. I know it's something that has affected people in terms of you saying that kind of legacy tenant who hasn't got their name on. Um, short of... Uh, well, as you're saying, unplugging um, and, of course, going to court as Burke is planning to do. What would you advise in this situation, Ludmilla? He's doing all the right things. Uh, so whether it's the legal tenant or the occupier, i.e. the illegal tenant, the process of evicting is the same uh, until as long as you have an agreement, a tenancy, a valid tenancy agreement to the property, even if the rent is not being paid for, you don't really, as a landlord, have a legal uh, right to access the property and remove the possessions of, of whoever lived there before, let alone physically remove the persons who live there. So the only authorities that have the ability to do so are, are one, the court, and two, the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the actual okay. process is that you go to court, you um, uh, serve a, a legal notice for um, the reasons for the breach of contract. And here, by the way, I would add an additional argument, and that is that uh, the property was illegally uh, subleased. That's also an argument for termination of the contract. And then you need to get an eviction notice or order from the court. And then once that eviction notice becomes final, then with that eviction notice, then you go for enforcement to the police. And then with the help of the police, you remove the current occupier uh, as well as document or and, and have the police manage the removal of the all the belongings within the property. So it's it's unfortunately a lengthy, I mean, not a, so, much, so much lengthy, but a formal process that everybody must go through whether you have a legal occupier or not. Oh, Brooke, I really, I'll just, yeah, I'll go on. Any, any I'll last just question? Add one, more, mm-hmm. one more piece here. The, uh, the occupier whose name is not on any document 
had provided one year rent to the previous landlord and that has transferred over. But the question is, I mean, that means nothing, right? And technically, because he's not on anything that doesn't give him the right to remain in my place. Is that, is that correct? Is that an accurate statement? Mm -hmm. Uh, correct. So basically, that that means that he has an argument and a dispute with the with your tenant. So then he has to file a case against your tenant uh, for reimbursement of a uh, rent. Uh, but that contract is between the two of them and not between the occupier right. and you. Perfect. Right, thank we, you so we, much. That just you know it helps me. Uh, yeah, make sure that I was on the right track. So it thank sounds you so like much. you much are. Appreciate. We're sending you well. all the strength and patience. <laughs> we're <laughs> we're, we're, we're behind you, so you. Come on, do um get get them out, get them out, and keep us posted, won't you? Let us know how it all or how it all pans out for you. Uh, I'll WhatsApp you guys. Yeah, hopefully you're a star. One, one or two months. Appreciate good man, it. good man. Burak speaking to us there. Um, we are going to be going to the text line in just a couple of minutes. Laura's been scammed by a travel agency. Um, how can she get? her money back and we're talking divorce as well what does the law say when it comes to paying out and where people should live If you just tuned in, it's your free legal clinic, Ludmilla Malava, lending us her brain for an hour to look at the headlines and go to the text line. Please don't hesitate to reach out if there's anything that's on your mind. Maybe some clarification on a recent guideline or law change or something that is keeping you up at night. Um, let's talk divorce, Ludmilla. It is January, famously one of the hottest times to, uh, to separate. Um, and a number of messages actually on this topic. But let's start with this one. No name saying, I got divorced two months ago. I still live in the house of my ex-husband with my daughter, who I've got custody of. He owes me money. The court ordered him to pay and the execution was approved. I'm paying for school. Um, as he wasn't, I'm, I'm spending 35,000 dirhams um, plus expenses. I don't have the money to move out since he's not paying me anything. He's moved in with his new wife um, and is threatening and harassing me to get out. Because I've got no home, he claims that he'll be able to keep my daughter. Um, what should I do? It sounds incredibly stressful. Thank you for sharing that and, and highlighting some of the issues that might be affecting other people. So the, the crux of it, no money's coming in. He wants to be in the house. Could this affect the custody? Uh, not necessarily. So much depends on the ultimate judgment, um, since there is a divorce decree already. That divorce decree would have been issued on the back of a judgment where the court would have set the parameters for the husband or the father's uh, obligations to support the children and uh, and the the mother of the children. It's less about support to him uh, to her as an ex-wife, but rather support continuing support to her as the mother uh, that has custody of the children and, and with whom the children live. Uh, so if the judge, the judge would have determined all of the, the, those obligations and compensation and payments um, in, in, the, in the agreement or in the judgment. So now that judgment becomes enforceable. So if um, these specific provisions in the judgment are not being complied with, then she needs to file an enforcement case against the husband and to uh, for payment of whatever it is that he is defaulting on. And I have to tell you, these uh, these judgments are very, very effective. And enforcement proceedings in the UAE are very effective. And we've seen and, and managed many divorce settlement agreements or divorce agreements that have not been complied with. And the courts are very efficient in, uh, for example, freezing the father's assets uh, in uh, uh, transferring money from uh, from their bank accounts to the the mother's bank account. Uh, so uh, so the courts are very efficient and swift, but you do need to do something about it. You need to be proactive about it. And that means you need to file enforcement proceedings. As part of the enforcement proceedings, you need to request for the court to, for example, find out 
which banks the 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 ex-husband might have bank accounts uh, with which other authorities there he may have assets with such as land department for example rta any cars the boats and then and then through the enforcement proceedings she'll be able to either transfer money from liquid money from the bank accounts or even liquidate his assets uh, from such as real estate or cars for example to to pay off the debts uh, so that's the process. Unfortunately, it's 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 painful. But until such time, he cannot really do anything to her either. If she lives in in the house and he has to pay, then he cannot just kick her out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he equally so either needs to file if it's his own property and it's in his name, he has to file a, case, a court case against her. Uh, but in any event, his obligation to pay for housing remains. Okay. Um, so it's as you said, it's not a nice, uh, not nice place to be in. It's very stressful, and uh, but there is there are very effective mechanisms to ensure enforcement. And since he lives here still with his new wife, the courts will absolutely have jurisdiction and ability to make him pay. Thank you, Ludmilla, and really all the very best with this situation as it unfolds. Let's see if we can help Laura out. Laura says, I've been scammed by a local travel agency. They asked me to pay in advance at the beginning of 2022 for a cheaper tour package. I was not able to travel in 2022. Um, They have not refunded my money, have not carried it forward to 2023. How can I get my money back? I'm sure there's terms and conditions that haven't been mentioned here, Ludmilla, but just upon hearing that, are there any routes to, to recourse here? Well, there's a few. So much depends on the underlying documents that exist to show this contractual relationship. But also one, perhaps a fairly easy thing to do is to report the agency to the licensing authority. So for it could be the, the tourism authority, for example, or it could be the DD. There's a customer uh, customer dispute authority. Uh, so um, so that, I mean, these are more regulatory punishment, if you will. Uh, versus uh, financial compensation, but still, these authorities can put some pressure on the on companies such as the travel agency. And as part of this pressure, the the company can, uh, and we have seen them uh, you know, refund the money. As that's that's on kind of the regulatory, a more sort of a leverage or a pressure side of things. But ultimately, the only way you can get them to pay you if they don't want to pay is to file a court case. So that's more on the judicial side of things. Uh, then you need to file a court case and you need to request compensation on the basis that they had breached uh, their side of the deal. That is, they took the money and they did not provide anything in return. So that's considered to be a breach of contract. So but that would be through the court. And these days, there are a lot more efficient and expeditious ways to file court cases. Uh, so just you know, because I, I mentioned court cases, you don't need to be uh, stressed because mm-hmm. a lot of most of the cases you can file online, you can manage them yourself. Uh, and courts do have a mandate to resolve them fairly quickly. Okay, thank you for that, Ludmilla. Can we come back to divorce, if you don't mind? Um, A message here saying, I got divorced a few years back, settled on a decent child support. Now that my ex-wife has remarried and has a child, am I still bound to this previous agreement? Note she works and has been working all this time. Thank you. Good question. Changing circumstances, what does that mean for outgoings? it's a great question. And so, and there's a big difference between having a settlement agreement and a court judgment. Because a settlement agreement is basically an agreement between two parties where they define and determine uh, the terms and conditions between them moving forward. Whereas a court judgment, it's a court, it's a judge that ultimately defines a roadmap for the party's future relationship. So here the key is uh, a court judgment versus an agreement. And I will tell you from experience, a lot of the time, especially here, I've seen this quite a lot, is that people who or who do an agreement, sort of an amicable agreement outside of court, so to speak, uh, often forget to address the changing circumstances, uh, such as, for example, 
when one or the other spouse gets married or if they want to leave the UAE, for example. Uh, so often that is not addressed in the agreement. If it's not addressed in the agreement, then, well, then you, you know, there's not really, you cannot really make a breach of agreement uh, uh, claim in court. Uh, so you may have to ultimately then just go to court right now and request for the court to adjudicate this matter. Mm -hmm. However, if you have a judgment from the court, it may be that the judgment would have mentioned a certain provisions about it, such changing circumstances. Uh, and if, for example, if it's a Muslim couple and the mother had custody of the children and also support from the uh, from the father towards the children uh, and, and while they're in her custody, when she remarries, for example, especially if she marries somebody from a different faith, then he doesn't have to pay that. But that is mandated more by court order versus an agreement. So that's an example of why which instrument they're relying on is, is critical here. Ludmilla, um, I wanted to ask you about divorce in general, to be honest, because... As I said, January, hot time for it. Um, but if someone is perhaps thinking about it, but perhaps haven't taken the steps to even say that to their partner, but want to make sure they're protected, what would you advise your best friend to make sure that they were going to be really best prepared upon separation? Well, there's a number of practical things we always require advice, and it really depends on who is seeking divorce and what their financial uh, situation is and legal situation. So because there's a lot of, even though there's a lot of women that um, that have uh, very well-paying jobs and have their own bank accounts and own assets in, in their own, own name, so they can uh, absolutely perfectly well support themselves and their children. Uh, so, but in those cases, but it, perhaps this is the easier cases, the more complicated cases are those where one or the other spouse, and particularly often that tends to be the mother or the woman, does not work or has given up career to take care of the children. And therefore, if they're divorcing, then she becomes a little bit of a, you know, it, it, there's no more, without an income, uh, without her spouse. So in those cases, often also, it's not just the income, it's the legal status. Because if you are here as a spouse of some, of your husband who works, then most likely he has the residence visa and you are sponsored by him as well as the children. And as, as he is the main sponsor, in many cases, again, most cases, even the bank accounts are in his name. Maybe you have a credit card, maybe you co-signatory uh, or beneficiary, but not an actual holder of a bank account. And often, for example, even things like the phone bills or phone plans and, and other utilities or, and rent and housing are all uh, for example, in the in, a, in the husband's name. So in, in cases of divorce, it becomes very scary because at that point in time, you realize you don't really have control over anything. So mm -hmm. so to go back to your question, in that kind of uh, situation, what I would recommend is that you try to kind of regain or build some independence. And so start, you start with having your own bank account. Yeah. At least you have some own, your own savings and access. Okay. Then oh, similar, the phone is very important because a lot of the time, yeah, it's very easy to disconnect for the, uh, for the whoever holds the phone um, policy, to disconnect that line. So you... you uh, reassign or have your own phone uh, phone line and phone policy uh, and then if you have um, I mean that's really what comes down to, and then the, the rest of it is it's just a matter of a of divorce in terms of and dividing assets and figuring out support for children but you ultimately will need to figure out a way how you're going to sponsor yourself upon divorce uh, whether you're going to find a job or if you have property in the UAE or some kind of savings you might be able to self-sponsor yourself these days it's much easier uh, so, uh, and then I guess these are kind of the main ones, mm -hmm. uh, where you're going to live and how you're going to support yourself in, in, in the interim. And then and then also how you're going to fund the divorce, because it can be fairly pricey, though I, I always recommend uh, 
amicable, not not reconciliation, but amicable divorce, uh, which we do many of, and they are very successful. And I much prefer that people consider that as a as a priority. Well, I think we might need to have a little divorce special because we've had a lot of messages we have been able to get to today. I will put them aside for next week. In the meantime, though, Ludmilla Malava, thank you so so much. Wishing you a wonderful week ahead. And uh, blue skies as well. Thank take you, take care you. of yourself. There's Millie Malava joining us from HPL Malava and Fluka. If you want her details, um, best thing to do, give her a Google. She's got fantastic resource for all sorts of information, headlines. And of course, she's with us every single Monday afternoon. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.